Scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 10. I'll start at verse 9. In your pew Bibles, it's on page 1151 and it runs over into 1152. Pastor Neil gave me about a 40-page run here, so I'm going to read the first two verses, and then Kenny's going to come up and read the last 38. (laughs) He just didn't know he was. Start at verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city... Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. Peter went down and he said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We've come from Cornelius. The centurion, he is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he would hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with him and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you're well aware that it's against the law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. 
So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues in tongues, and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few more days. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. I'll tell you all the truth, I'm a little bit stiff today because yesterday I was playing Reuben and Aaron in basketball and beating them badly. And... Uh, you know, after uh, when you get over 30, you know, to, to beat someone that badly, you know, just it leaves you sore the next day, you know. Not the same as when you were in your 20s, but still got it, still got it. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, we are, uh, that's only after they squashed me in a quick game of pig, but uh, which is the shortened version of horse, if you don't know that. Uh, but anyhow, <laughs> we're in this series called Peter, and we've been there for a little while. We saw the calling of Peter. We saw the, him try to walk on water and then end up sinking, right? And, and we saw him really fail uh, at the time that Jesus was betrayed and crucified. We saw him um, deny Jesus then. But we also saw him restored when Jesus had risen back to life, and he, we saw that he was a, one of the witnesses, one of the primary witnesses, uh, that Jesus was not only alive, but I mean, he had like a new kind of body, but it was a physical body. And I mean, he ate breakfast with him on the shore of Galilee. 
I mean, he witnessed something amazing. Someone who had died was back to life. And that changed him along with being filled with the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden this Peter who had shown moments of boldness all along was a force to be reckoned with in the early church. And in that day, willing to stand up to those who had just crucified Jesus and speak boldly the message, proclaim what we call the gospel, the account of all that Jesus had done. And uh, so we, that brings us up to this event today, this account that we read today. That, you know, maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. If you've been in church long, you've probably heard it at some point. I've definitely heard it growing up, growing up in the church and, and am familiar with the story. But I don't think I've ever heard anyone give Peter enough credit for just how bold this mission was. And I hope that we'll see why as we uncover some of what we looked at today. Uh, but speaking of bold moments, you know, uh, Cherry Easterling had a bold moment the other day. She didn't know I was going to bring her up. But a few Sundays back, she, you know, if, you don't, if you're not here during Sunday school, you may not know, but she serves every week back there keeping track of attendance and things like that for our Sunday school ministry. And, and so she's down there in the garden room or whatever you like to call it. It has multiple names through the years, but uh, that children's ministry area and, and she sits down at the table at the end of it. And the other, a couple weeks ago, uh, this couple walks in. And I mean, you would be hard pressed to imagine a more ragged, tattered, dirty, stinky... <laughs> looking couple of people I mean they just looked like the cat just drug them in you know and like they hadn't had a, a bath in weeks and they probably hadn't like they hadn't changed their clothes in weeks and they probably hadn't and uh, so needless to say that was a bit of a surprise when they came around the corner and Cherry was sitting right there so Cherry sends Shaniqua from the nursery she didn't have any kids don't worry we don't leave our kids unattended but <laughs> since she didn't have any kids at that moment she came down to my office and said could you come down here for a minute so I come down there and I'm like oh okay <laughs> here we go so I, I meet him and I, I'm needing some help I've got some things to do so I, I say well come with me and I decided to bring him down here to uh, whoever was greeting that week and, and you know, to try and recruit some help to find someone they were wanting to ride to Glenwood Hospital and so I said well we'll see what we can do so I invite them through it was obvious they had not planned on traipsing through the church <laughs> you know and they were ashamed about how they looked and what you know, and how they appeared, and, and this was not part of their plan, and they were very uncomfortable, and, and so, but, you know, I needed some help, so I brought them through, and, and as we entered the room, I, Gene is in there greeting, Gene Ward, and, and his back is to me, and I'm thinking, Lord, I hope he doesn't jump clean out of his skin when he turns around, <laughs> and uh, so, so I'm bringing them along and I say, Gene, this here is, you know, I don't remember their names. And, and Gene started to turn around. And I'm going to hold you in suspense for a little while <laughs> as to what happens next. Sorry about that. But uh, what I want you to consider right now is what would have your reaction, what would your reaction have been in such a situation if it had been you that was turning around? And I know you have to use your imagination because you may not have gotten to see him that day. But what would your reaction have been if it would have been you I was introducing them to? What would your reaction have been if I would have said, here they are and they were sitting in your seat? What if, I don't know, 
picture somebody that you cause you to raise your eyebrows and, and you know maybe some lady dressed like a prostitute or some guy that looks like a druggie or someone who's black or Mexican or Arab looking or I don't know what it is you know but they're sitting in your seat what would you do with that <laughs> the truth is that at least if you're anything like me if we're honest there's some people that we tend to think we're better than we just do we, we think we're smarter we're better we're what, for whatever reason you know God gave us a little more to work with or something right and this makes its way into the church and we all know stories of uh, you know churches and or church people that have done things that were very I don't know prejudiced discriminatory whatever that makes you shake your head like oh my goodness but if we're honest there's a little bit of that in all of us that we wrestle with sometimes and if I asked you, you know, is there anyone that's not as good as you, you know, we could all give the Sunday school or the politically correct answer of no, nobody's, you know, we're all, we're all the same in God's eyes, you know, and, and we, the gospel's for everybody, and uh, we could all say the right thing, but in our hearts, sometimes we have a hard time actually living that out, if we're honest, right? And I realize that, that for some of us in this room, you're probably like, oh my goodness, is this sermon going there? <laughs> You know, haven't we heard enough about racism and prejudice and discrimination in our in the news media? And I mean, sometimes living in the South, right? It feels like the whole world thinks if you're white and in the South, then you're just racist bigot by just automatically, right? And so we get sick of hearing stuff about this. But I want to suggest to you that we should be glad it's going there today, because if it hadn't gone there two thousand years ago then you and I would not have been considered worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I literally mean we would have been excluded based merely on our ethnicity. And we'll see that come to life here in a little bit. So, you know, if you're, if you're in that boat of, oh my goodness, is this going there? Just let God interrupt your morning today as he interrupted Peter's some 2,000 years ago on top of a roof of all places. But listen, you would have liked to have been on that roof too. He was in Joppa along the eastern Mediterranean. By the sea, it said, right? In Joppa. And Joppa has been around a long time. And this is a picture of it now. But I mean, I've got a feeling that the, the water was just as turquoise looking when Peter was there. Maybe more so, you know, a little less pollution. <laughs> What a place to pray. Up on the roof with the ocean breeze. I'm guessing he probably had a view of the ocean. There weren't too many skyscrapers back then, right? Man, what a place to pray. And as he's praying up there and things are smelling good down in the kitchen, God interrupts his morning. And he said it was like a sheet was lowered and there was a bunch of animals in it. And God told him to eat some of it. And he said, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. See, the Jews had a lot of dietary restrictions and a lot of other things that could make them unclean or 
or clean, and they had to be careful about what they did. And even to this day, if you go in the grocery store, right, if you, you see some things that have a K on it because they're kosher, which means that those things are all right for them to eat. You won't find a K on the pork chops that Julie brought home the other day. <laughs> it, they've got very specific things to this day that they can eat and not eat. And, and here's God saying, take something, Peter, and eat it. And Peter says, no way, God. And God does it again and again, three times. Something about Peter in threes. <laughs> he was always hanging out with James and John, the three companions, the three amigos, right? And he, he, was, he denied Jesus three times. Jesus restored him three times. Now God lowers this sheet for him three times. Maybe he just takes a little extra to get through to Peter, you know? Not only that, Cornelius sent three companions to go get him. <laughs> Kind of makes you wonder if they knocked three times. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. But I am so glad. I mean, God's timing was perfect. Imagine that. Imagine if those guys had knocked before the vision had taken place. How things might have been different. Because in Peter's day, the relations between Jews and what they called Gentiles, which was Everybody else, <laughs> pretty much, was tense, to say the least. I mean, think of the worst stories of, and examples of racism that you can think of. You might even need to dial it up a notch. I mean, they dripped with hatred towards these people who were oppressing them and their nation. They were... An abomination. Just the fact that they were in the land that God had given them was bad enough. They would, I mean, it was, they had laws that they had put in place, religious laws. You could not associate, visit, sit down and eat. These are things you did not do with a Gentile if you were a God fearing Jew in that day. And if for some reason, you know, maybe they forced you because they're, you know, in charge and authority. Maybe they forced you into some kind of exchange or something. If you ended up unclean because you had associated with one of these people, well, there were rituals, there were, you know, religious things you had to go through, time it took for you to be restored to clean status again, where you would be right in the sight of God and men. This was a big deal. When Peter invited them into that home to eat with them, it was a bold move. When he left to travel with them, to go meet the guy who sent them, it was even bolder. And when he walked into that house and began to share the gospel, it was bordering on insanity. This had never been done. It was not in anyone's plans to ever be done. Aren't you glad that God intervened and that Peter was bold enough to go on this mission? Amen. Hmm. The gospel that he shared. I just thought we'd take a time out 
and look at the last week we talked in depth about the gospel. I thought we'd just recap for a minute because here we have another summary of the gospel by Peter, and it's a little bit different but very similar to the one that we had last time. And here's what he said. Maybe you'll remember components of this gospel from last week when we looked at it. You know the message God sent. This is him talking to Cornelius and his household. Cornelius was a Roman centurion, about as bad as it gets. To the people of Israel, announcing the good news, gospel, of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the providence of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. He goes all the way back to John the Baptist, which is where the Gospels all begin, too. You heard about, did I skip something? Let me make sure I didn't skip something. Yeah, how God anointed, that's what you do to a prophet, a priest, a king, a messiah. He anointed Jesus. How he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses. And we talked about how the gospel is the witnessed accounts of what Jesus actually did. These are historical events. Events. The, the gospel is not a set of ideas or, a, or concepts or a theology or anything. It's, it's what people witnessed Jesus do. Of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. The cross and the resurrection stand at the center of the gospel. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. That's something new from last week's gospel account. He's bringing in, well, hello. He's bringing in something that Jesus is going to do. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And that concludes the summary of the gospel. And I just want to point out one major difference here is last week's gospel account included huge chunks of Old Testament prophecy. Lots of talk about David. And here, Peter only says... All the prophets testify about him. In the story. Why the difference? Well, last week's sermon was preached to a Jewish audience. This week's gospel is presented to a Gentile audience. And so, keeps that part short. Similarly, when we present the gospel to people, we ought to consider who we're talking to. Do they have a background in church or do they not? Do they know anything about Jesus or do they not? And, and form our gospel accordingly. And therefore, to be able to do that, we've got to know it, right? We've got to know it like the back of our hands. So study the gospels. Read the gospel accounts. Study what the apostles said, like Peter's examples or Paul's examples. And get comfortable with it so you can share it easily. So he shares this gospel with them. And we're told that they responded. They responded in a great way. They were baptized. 
Now, Peter knew this was a big deal. I mean, you can almost tell when he said, does anyone object to me baptizing these guys? <laughs> you know, he, he knew it was a big deal when he left to go with them. He knew that the other believers would not approve that he was going off into new territory without getting permission from anybody else, without seeking anyone else's opinions. He went and did these things. And he was worried, doubtless, about what the consequences would be when he got back to the other believers. What they would say. Would they kick him out? Would they take away his popehood? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But seriously, would they say, you're out of leadership from here on out, Peter. Or you're just out, period. You've left the reservation. When he got back to Jerusalem, word had already traveled faster than he did of what he had done. People were incensed about it and they were waiting for him. And when he got back to Jerusalem, they criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Like enough said, Peter. We won't even mention the fact that you I can't even say it, baptized them. Do you know what that does, Peter? I mean, that puts them in the family, right? That, that's like equal status now with these people. I mean, you might as well have just like given your daughter in marriage to one of them or something. What in the world, Peter? And Peter says, well, guys, let me just tell you what happened. And he tells them the whole story from the whole sheet thing to going and then getting the Holy Spirit before, you know, he even finished the gospel. And, and then, so, I mean, what else was he supposed to do? God had already baptized him, so he might as well. And just shares this whole story with him. And look what those first believers had the humility to say. Sorry, let me skip to the next one. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Now, truth be told, and, and being a Gentile and all, that still sounds a little uppity, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, a, it's a little high and mighty sounding. Oh, even the Gentiles, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But when you think about how far they had to come, I mean, their whole lives, from generation to generation, this attitude had been passed down to them. And to, in that one moment, listen to Peter and then say, well, okay then. That's huge. That's huge. So, in the story, right? The church got it right. Gospels for everybody. Everybody knows it. Why do we need a sermon? But we know this didn't end all the problems. And problems would continue to crop up in the early church right on down to today. And in the early church, you know, many of the Jewish believers said, well, if we can't keep them out, we're at least going to make them jump through all the hoops. You know, they're going to have to become Jews first. I mean, the circumcision, the dietary rules, the whole nine yards. You know, if they're going to be in, they're going to need to be all the way in. 
And I mean, they had to call a business meeting of sorts, you know, to sort it out. And the, and the apostles finally came down and they said, look, we're not going to make them jump through all those hoops. Like God told Peter, don't call impure something that I've made clean. And God has said that it's for everybody, so it's for everybody. They don't have to jump through our hoops to get there. And yet, it was still a struggle for them. And we're told even it was a struggle for Peter later. Paul wrote in Galatians about this time where Peter had come and was hanging out with all these Gentile believers and everything was going great. And, and then all of a sudden these strict Jews showed up in town too. And Peter stopped hanging out so much with the Gentiles and he stopped eating their stuff with them. Started eating at the Jew table. You know? <laughs> the kosher table. And Paul, being so timid, comes to them, him and just says nothing about it, right? <laughs> Paul can stand toe-to-toe with Peter on boldness sometimes. And he just came to, I mean, imagine that, coming up to Peter being like, and just calling him out. <laughs> you know better than this, Peter. This was something that the church had to deal with. They had to get it right. They had to swallow their pride. They had to get past their preconceived notions and recognize that the gospel is for everyone. We have to get past anything and anybody, not just racism, but anything that stops us short of accepting someone into this family whom God has said, yeah, it's for them too. God so loved the world. And that definitely includes you, but it definitely definitely includes everybody else too, doesn't it? Peter got it right. I'm, I'm just amazed at how fast Peter got it right. When just, you know, like a day later, he's standing there before Cornelius and he says... I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. He wouldn't have said that just hours before. Paul perhaps says it best. You know, Paul was known as, became known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And that's something that Paul wouldn't have seen coming. (laughs) And it makes you wonder, would Paul have ever been considered the apostle to the Gentiles if Peter hadn't gone first and made the way? If he hadn't been bold enough to go on that mission, would we have half of our New Testament? All those letters that Paul wrote to Gentile believers. But here's how Paul worded it. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. And there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel was radical. We've lost sight of just how radical the gospel was. Hmm. 
In other words, in God's church, people who shouldn't even be friends treat each other like family. It's amazing. The world's never seen anything like it. I mean, people who shouldn't even be friends get treated and they gather together like family. And this is why we love everyone else who believes in Jesus Christ. No matter what their background is, no matter what they look like, no matter their affiliations or their political viewpoints, no matter, we love them because they're family. They're our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And not only that, but we love everyone who's not in the family yet. Whether they have on a Black Lives Matter shirt, whether they're flying a rebel flag, whether they're Muslim or Jewish or whatever they are, whether they're anti-abortion or whether they're pro-abortion, whether they're even a politician, we love them because we want them to be in the family. They ought to be in the family. Our Savior died for them too. Jesus said that they would know us by our love. That can't have meant just our love for the people that are like us. Because even the world loves people that are like them. No, this is something radical. This is something remarkable. Because in God's church, people who shouldn't even be friends gather as family. We've got to be careful that we don't expect people to jump through our hoops just like the Jews did in that day before we accept them as family. There's a couple of groups of people I'm going to mention and you could think of a lot more that just to kind of get our brains going here. Uh, First off, young people in our world today. The millennial generation that's like my age and 20 20 or so years younger than me, you know, so like middle school through 30-something, they say is now the biggest generation. It's also the least Christian generation, least churched generation ever in America. It's like a big mission field. And if God ever gave us the opportunity to reach even one of those young people who are so far from God, I hope that our first concern wouldn't be what their hair looks like, or that they're wearing a hat in here, or that they're on their phone in here, or that they're talking in here, or that they don't know how to act in church, obviously, and don't know how to dress in church, and don't know how to do anything churchy, right, and they don't even like our hymns. Because if God blessed us to be able to try and reach one of those people, our first concern ought to be that they even wanted to be here in the first place. Our second concern ought to be that they would ever want to come back. And our ultimate concern is that they know Jesus as King. And if you can build a bridge of love to one of those people, then maybe at some point you'll have the opportunity to tell them how you do church. (laughs) That can't be the priority. 
Because the gospel is for everyone. And these kids, they don't grow up in church. They don't know how to do church the way you do it. But we can't make that number one. That's what the Jews did. They said, before you can become one of us, before you can do this thing with us, then, well, you've got to, you know, be circumcised. You've got to do this, you've got to do that. In, in our day and age, we say, well, you've got to know how to act in church, and you've got to know how to dress in church, and you've got to know how to do all these things. You've got to look like us before we accept you like one of us. So we have to be cautious of that. The other group of people that I thought I'd bring up is just our immediate community. Because they look different than most of us. You know, a lot of them are black and we're not. A lot of them are poor and they have a tough time and more so than a lot of us. And, and so nobody in the world would pair us with them, you know? Kind of like people who shouldn't be friends, you know? That's how the world would look at it. And, and there's a school of thought that might would say, well, let's just leave a wide berth, you know, for other people who are more like them to go and reach them because surely there's some Christians like them too. But here we are, all jammed up in here together. And I just feel like anywhere where God's people are placed, the surrounding community ought to be better for it. And I wonder sometimes, what would the people in our immediate community say if someone asked them about our church? You know, well, what do you know about that church over there? I mean, would they say, oh, they're a bunch of jerks? Would they say, oh, good people, nice people over there? Or more likely, would they say, I don't have any idea. They do their thing, we do our thing. I just feel like if someone... We ought to make such a positive difference anywhere where God's church, God's people are planted... The community ought to be better in such a powerful way that if someone were trying to vandalize our church, if someone was trying to talk bad about our church, the people in our immediate community would be the first to say, don't mess with those people. They've done a lot of good for us in this community. Back off. <laughs> Everywhere that Jesus went, he touched lives, made things better. I just feel like wherever God's church meets, the place around them ought to be better for it. Don't you? And after all, the gospel's for them too. And even though the world doesn't think we ought to be friends, the truth is we ought to be family. And some of those folks around us already are family. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of those folks back there may have never even really heard the gospel. They ought to be our brothers and sisters in Christ because our Savior died for them too. The first time that I really remember all this you know, coming to life for me was when I was leading a men's small group at our church in Springfield where I was the worship pastor for a few years and, and I led this men's small group and one night, a lot of times we met in our house but one night we met in, I can't remember why we weren't meeting in my house, but uh, maybe it was a mess. But we went over to this guy's house. He had the biggest house in the church by far. Right? He was a, the partner of a big CPA firm, and, and uh, you know, it, was, it was a nice house. And at that meeting, we also had our poorest member of the group. Kind of scruffy looking, lived in a little shanty over by the church, and... 
And the rich guy and the poor guy were both, I mean, you know, you would want, the world wouldn't pair those two, right? Certainly wouldn't invite the poor guy to the rich guy's house. That doesn't happen. But on that night, the rich guy was glad to have the poor guy there. The poor guy seemed perfectly at ease to be there. And I sat there thinking, where else does this happen? <laughs> it doesn't happen in the societies and clubs and things of our world. Certainly not very often. But in God's church, it's been happening for 2,000 years. It's amazing. Because people who shouldn't be friends are family. All right, so I was walking through the foyer, and I said, Hey, Gene, <laughs> I want to introduce you to these people. And Gene turns around and didn't even miss a beat, just shot his hand out there, shook their hands, said, you think somebody would give him a ride? He goes upstairs, down comes James Vickery, and James doesn't even bat an eye either. And, uh, and we gathered out with him in front of the church, laid hands on him and prayed for him and sent them on their way. I wish we could have done more. I wish we had a, like a bathtub around here and some fresh clothes or something. Nobody ought to have to live like that. But at least we did treat them like the gospel was for them too. At least we did that. Because in God's church, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. There's no slave and there's no master. There's no men and women and all those differences, especially in their culture. That was a lot of differences. It's just brothers and sisters in, in Christ, in God's family. And may it be so in your heart and in your attitudes and in mine. And may it be so of our church. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for making the gospel for everyone, or else it wouldn't have even been for us. We admit, Lord, that sometimes we struggle not to think ourselves better than others. It's a common human struggle that we all deal with in this fallen world. Holy Spirit, humble us, teach us to see and treat the world as you do. To see people as our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Help us to love them like Jesus does. We pray it in his name. Amen.